Thanks, Serena. Hey, if we haven't met yet, my name's Hans. I'm one of the pastors here. It's great to see you here. It was great to uh, have a week off last week, but it's also great to be back. Uh, one of the things that we do here at MCC, we love to give away books that will help you on your Christian walk. And I've got a, I've got a book here, Tim Chester, Enjoying God, Experiencing the Power and Love of God in Everyday Life. I've read this. This is a fantastic book. Very easy to read. So if you would love this book about experiencing the power and love of God in everyday life, very easy to read. Just come and grab, grab me afterwards. First in Best Dress. I actually, that is the book that when I talk to a lot of Christian friends, they've read that. More people have read that in the last few years than um, any other book that, that I've talked with people about and everyone loves it. So please grab that after. But I'm going to pray And then we'll jump into this passage. Let's pray. Uh, Father God, I pray that as we hear your word today and as we study it, I pray that you would help us not only to understand it, but Lord, that you would bring us together under it, that we would be unified around the Lord Jesus and your word, and that we would be a a church that is truly spirit-filled. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things I did when I first got here and, and became the pastor five years ago was I, I tried to meet with as many people, um, as many members as possible, right? And, you know, and just hear their story and hear their story about how they were at church. And one of, one of these meetings um, really, I guess, gripped me emotionally. It was with a dear sister that's now departed to be with the Lord, Joyce Stimson. And I was over at her place, and uh, Joy had been here for many decades. And I asked her about the good times, and she shared how, you know, she brought her family here, and her boys, you know, had become Christians here, and and a bunch of stuff like that. It was really great. And then I asked her about the, the hard times, and she almost welled up with tears. And then she said, she talked about a church split, that in the early 80s, this church was divided. And I asked her what split the church. And she said two words, spirit-filled. She said that there was a group of people that, that, had come, uh, that were part of this church and they wanted, to lean, they wanted to talk about the things of the spirit, be spirit-filled, and they decided that, that uh, this teaching around being spirit-filled was true. We had to have all these experiences and do all this thing, and it caused tension, and she, uh, in Joy's words, the majority of the church actually went with them and left. And I said, what happened then? And I remember her saying, um, her husband talked to them as a family and said, we're not going anywhere. And she said that was some of the hardest years ever at this church. When we talk about the book of Acts and being spirit-filled and the Holy Spirit, it can be a minefield because there's so much teaching around. And and there's there's Christians who would say being spirit-filled means that you speak in tongues and you've got all these experiences. 
And then a lot of people in our camp, you know, the Reformed Evangelical tradition, we would say, well, Spirit-filled means that you've got the Holy Spirit. And the problem here is that, that um, both camps, I think, are going from experience. Our, our charismatic and Pentecostal brothers and sisters, they're saying, I've had that, this experience, so therefore the Bible says this. And I think we in reform, uh, the reform camp, what we do is, there's been terrible things that have happened in the last 30, 40 years. Church splits and so much pain and hurt over this. So we're going to have a theology that is uh, as safe as possible. And what we're going to do is we're going to say, well, it seems like we're going to have a, a theology of the Spirit that is almost in contradiction to what they are saying. And when, when I hear so much uh, teaching on the Spirit today in Australia, what's really interesting is the lack of the exposition of Scripture from both sides. I listened to a talk this week from one of one of uh, Australian Christian leader, an Australian Christian leader, a man who um, I've had uh, preach at a previous church, and, and talking about the Holy Spirit. And it was interesting for tw- for the first twenty minutes, he talked about you know splits in the church and all this kind of stuff. And it was really interesting that the rest of the talk, as he got to the Bible, it seemed like his interpretation of the Bible was driven by that. Instead of going, what does the Bible say and how does this help me interpret this? So today what we're going to do is we're going to look at one of the key passages. We're going to look at the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost because here's the thing, no matter what's happening out there or what has happened, don't we want to be a a church that is filled with the Spirit? Don't we want to be a church that is like the early church? Don't we want to see amazing things happen in our midst? I, yes, we do, and I hope you're on the same page as that. But, but here's the thing. What we've got to do is we've got to get our theology from the Bible and listen to it first and it inform us. And so that's what we're going to do today. We're going to see three things today. We're going to see a spirit-filled event, a spirit-filled message, and a spirit-filled church. A spirit-filled event a spirit-filled message and a spirit-filled church. Let's have a look at this spirit-filled event. You can see, we'll start in verse 1 of chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together, that is the believers, the, 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 uh, the early church was together all in one place, and suddenly the sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and the whole house where they were sitting, sorry, and filled the whole house where they were sitting, they, seen, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now, now notice what you see. There's, there's three strange things here. There's the strange sound of the wind coming. There's the strange sight of the, of the fire. And then there is the strange speech that they are speaking in tongues. But what are the, what, what's really happening here? Have a look at verse 5. Now, there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these men speaking Galilean, who are speaking Galileans? 
then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthenians, Medes, and Eliamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they ask one another, what does this mean? So the Holy Spirit comes down and what happens? The disciples are speaking different languages and they are proclaiming the wonders of God. But here's the thing, there's that word spirit filled or or, or they were filled with the spirit, that phrase. And it seems here that it would be, you just take that one sentence, right? Verse 4, all of them were filled with the spirit and began to speak in other tongues. And so our, our brothers and sisters who are, who are more down the charismatic and Pentecostal and they would say, there you go, if you have the Holy Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit, you speak in tongues. Here's the thing. I, what I want to do, anytime there's a phrase like filled with the Spirit or something like that, I want to look at as many instances in the Bible where that phrase is, is there. Because what I want to do is I want to get a theology and a practice not just from one verse, but from what the Bible says. Now, we can't go through what the whole, every point in the New Testament where it uses the word spirit-filled. There's, a, there's only a few, but the majority is the book of Luke and the book of Acts. Now, the interesting thing is the book of Luke and the book of Acts written by the same guy, Luke, Dr. Luke. And so what we're going to do, I just want to look at four passages which use this phrase, Filled with the Spirit, or, or um, that, that kind of phrase. And, and so if you've got your Bible, or you've got a phone, you've got an app, th- this is a really important thing to do, to flip over, over it with me, right? Okay, what we're going to do is flip back to Luke 1, 14 to 16. So, so Luke 1, 14 to 16. Now, this is before Jesus is born. And here, um, an angel has come down to Zechariah and he's speaking about John the Baptist. And let's pick it up in verse 14. It says this, He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, he is never to be taken, never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Spirit even before he is born. So, so here is John the Baptist. Even before he's born, he's got the Holy Spirit. Now, if you read the rest of the passage, what does it say? It, it doesn't talk about his, his speaking in tongues or anything. And if you actually look at John the Baptist, what does he do? He proclaims about Jesus. He speaks about Jesus boldly. Okay, l- l- let's put that, put that in the back of our heads as we look at the next verse, which is just down. It's, it's verses 66 and six, uh, sorry, 67 and 68. Here is Zechariah, and, uh, and he uh, sings a song. But did you notice in verse 67 of chapter 1, his father Zechariah was filled with the Spirit, and what does he do? He prophesies. 
Now, what, what does prophesy mean here? I think it means that he is talking about what God is going to do through John the Baptist. So he is proclaiming what God is going to do. So, so our first two instances in the book of Luke, being filled with the Spirit, seems to imply that you're going to talk a lot about Jesus. Okay, let's move on. Let's go back to Acts chapter, Acts, Acts 4, actually. Acts 4. Acts 4, verse 8. Peter and John are before the Sanhedrin. They healed a guy, Sanhedrin, who are the same dudes that killed Jesus, like put Jesus on trial and everything. And here they are before him. Have a look at verse 8 with me. They are brought before the Sanhedrin. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of the Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. And he keeps going. And what does he talk about? Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. He is filled with the Spirit. And he speaks Jesus, about Jesus powerfully. And then in the same chapter, Peter and John are released. And, in, and they, they come together with the believers. And in verse 32, or sorry, 31, what happens? They pray, after they pray, this is all the believers, the place where they, were sh- where they were meeting was shaken and they all and all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Do you see the connection here? The connection is between being filled with the Spirit and preaching Jesus boldly. And so our brothers and sisters who are charismatic, I think they've got it wrong. There's not a connection being, being, between being filled with the Spirit and speaking in tongues. And our brothers and sisters in our camp, I think they've got, got it wrong. Because in Acts 4, Acts 4 is after Acts 2. I know that's really profound. But Acts 4 and Acts 2, they receive the Holy Spirit. In Acts 4, the very people who have got the Holy Spirit, Peter and John and all the believers, they're filled with the Spirit. And so it seems to me being filled with the Spirit means that what we're going to do, if we're a a Spirit-filled church or you're a Spirit-filled person, you're going to love talking about Jesus. You're going to just talk about Jesus. Because if we have a look at the majority of instances in the book of Acts and the book of Luke, that's exactly what happens. Do you want to be a spirit-filled person? Well, tell people about Jesus, and guess what? You'll find that you're spirit-filled. Do we want to be a spirit-filled church? I hope we do. Well, if we're on the front foot with our evangelism and telling people about Jesus, we are a spirit-filled church. See, the Holy Spirit doesn't refer to itself ever in, in, the test, in, in the New Testament. No, the Holy Spirit, as we're going to see, points to Jesus. And a truly Spirit-filled church will point to Jesus. Last year, a, a guy rocked up at our Good Friday service. And um, he said to me, as he was leaving, there was a new guy, he goes, oh, mate, I was really disappointed that, that this church is not Spirit-filled. 
And I said, oh, I'm really disappointed that I think you've got the wrong theology of the Holy Spirit. Which he didn't come back and I wonder why. But, you know, well, and, and he was taken aback. And I said, I, brother, I think if you have a look at the New Testament, being spirit-filled is not necessarily about speaking in tongues or a certain way of singing or something like that. It's actually about banging on about Jesus. And you were just in a service where we just banged on about Jesus all the time. We sung to Jesus. We prayed about Jesus and what he's done. We, we preached about Jesus. And, and, he's, and he told me about his church uh, you know, that he'd just come from, and they'd had this eight-week sermon series on how to be successful. And I said, brother, can I just, can I just suggest that the church you've come from, they may have spoken in tongues and all this kind of stuff, but having a sermon series on being successful, I'm glad if you're successful, but that kind of suggests to me that you may not be at a church filled with the Spirit because you're talking about your success and not the Lordship of Jesus. I wonder why it didn't come back, right? But it's a significant point. It's a significant point. We want to be a church that is all on about the Lord Jesus. If that is us and we are doing the evangelism that we want to do, we will be filled with the Spirit. But did you see also in this, in this Holy Spirit-filled event that the people who hear the wonders of God, the gospel, all those people in verses 8 to, to 11, basically what, what Luke has done is said, the whole world has heard the whole world is heard. People from every corner of the known world at that point are hearing the gospel right then. And one of the things I love about our church is when I look around at you guys, I see people from every, all four corners of the globe. And when I see our area, I see a very multicultural area. And if we want to be a spirit-filled church that is reaching out to the area, we've got to work out how we're going to reach them. In our area, uh, you know, outside of English, the three dominant languages that are spoken at home are Mandarin, Cantonese and Korean. And so in the future, if we want to be a church that reaches out to Mandarin speakers, Cantonese speakers and Korean speakers, we will have to start up ministries that reach out to Mandarin speakers, Cantonese and Korean. If we want to be a church that reaches our area, we will have to put money towards that. We will have to start up ministries and services. Because I don't think we will be being faithful to what God is calling us to be unless we're trying to reach out to those guys. I remember coming to a ladies' fellowship a number of years ago and I was sitting next to this lady and she was telling me about her church and how there's only a few here, a few, few going to that, her church. And I asked her, um, was it always like that? She goes, no, we used to have hundreds. And I said, what happened? And she goes, well, just the people moved away and different people came in and, and that church didn't reach out to the people of the area for whatever reason. We don't want to be like that church. Now, we want to be a church where we see a flood of people becoming Christians. But if it's a flood of people in the area, we will have to work out how to reach them in their mother tongue. And that's exactly what happens here. And that's what happens throughout the Bible. 
And so here's a a, a spirit-filled event where people hear about Jesus in their mother tongue. And let's have a look at a a spirit-filled message in this next section what does peter do he he stands up with the 11 he raised his voice and addressed the crowd he he has the holy spirit he used to be fear full of fear and timid and now he is addressing the crowd a few of them in verse 13 have said they have too much wine but but what does peter say fellow jews and all of you who live in jerusalem let me explain this to you listen carefully to what i say these people are not drunk as you suppose it's only nine in the morning that shows you peter's not an aussie right because some aussies like to drink at nine in the morning right but but what what does he then talk about and i won't read it all but in verses 16 to 21 he talks he quotes from the prophet joel and the prophet Joel is talking about a time when the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in the end times. And I think one of the things that Peter is saying is, hey, this is not some weird event for God. No, this is part of his great plan. It's not like God woke up on the morning of Pentecost and goes, what am I going to do? I might just send the Holy Spirit. No, God has been planning this since the beginning. And the whole point of this passage is in verse 21. There's a great and glorious day of the Lord that's coming and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But the question is, who is that Lord? Well, that's why Peter goes on. And in verses 22 to verse 36, he talks about the Lord Jesus himself how he came, how he did miracles, how he died, and how he was raised from the dead. And those, there's those questions or, or those quotes from David. And he says, basically, David, you can go to his tomb. They thought they knew where David's tomb was back in the day, and David's body will be still in there, but Jesus has been raised from the dead. Therefore, he is ascended. He is the king of everybody. He's the king, and he rules And so one of the things that we've got to realize is that a spirit-filled message is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's interesting, Peter does not say, this is the most, uh, if if you wanted to say, I read a commentator today that said this is maybe the most spirit-filled event ever. Maybe it is. Well, let's just say it is. But he doesn't say, hey, you need the Spirit, get the Spirit. No, no, he goes, hey, you need Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus, never to himself. And so then, what does Peter say? Have a look at verse 36. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brother, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. Peter's reply is threefold. When when they ask, what should we do? When they've heard about this, they want to know threefold. Repent, be baptized, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repentance is just this turning around, this, this you used to live this way, now it's a totally different way. 
being baptized shows that you've died and been raised with Jesus. And then you will receive the Spirit. Now, now don't, don't get this twisted. I don't think Peter's saying, well, only after you're baptized you'll receive the Spirit. I think he's saying these are the three things you've got to do. And so I want to ask you, in response to what Jesus has done, have you repented of your sin? Have, have you come to the place where you have heard of the fact that Jesus has died for you because of your sin, taking your sin, your guilt and shame away? He has been raised from the dead, not only defeating death, but giving you hope for the future. Have you put your trust in him? And have you therefore repented of your sin? As I said, uh, repentance just means basically chucking you, going the opposite way. I remember uh, seeing a guy I hadn't seen in about 10 years. We were in bands together. This is in the early 2000s. And he he was a party animal. He had those earrings, like the spacey earrings that, you know, the more you put in, the bigger the earrings. It just looked weird and he had like a tongue ring and everything. And then um, I was in a guitar store and, he, and this guy came up to me and goes, Hans. And I said, yeah. He goes, Dylan. I was like, oh, I just didn't recognize him. Dylan, yeah. And then he said, oh, we're in a band, we're in this band together. I was like, you, what happened to this? What happened to that? Blah, blah, blah. And, um, and we, were, we were talking, and, and he said, I met this girl. And I said, okay. And he said, I fell in love with her. And I said, oh, okay. And what happened? He said, she said, I can't go out with you because my parents would never accept you. And he goes, why? He goes, oh, because of the tongue ring, because of everything. And I said, well, what did you do? He goes, well, I was so blown away by her. I ditched all those things because I wanted to be in this relationship with her and now we're married with three kids. And I was like, isn't that a beautiful picture of a, a form of repentance? Here is a party animal with, with you know, more piercings than anyone I've ever seen and he goes, I have been blown away by the love of this girl. I'm going to change in every way. That's what repentance is, but we've got a greater love. You've been shown love by the Lord Jesus. You've been shown forgiveness and therefore we change. We go, okay, no, that was my old way of life. That's what Peter is saying. A, a, a spirit-filled message is not, about, not just about Jesus, but it's about repentance also. Have you repented of your sin? And finally, there's a spirit-filled church. Have a look at verse 42 with me. What did the believers do? Well, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Did you notice the first thing that they do is they're devoted to the apostles' teaching. That is, as a community, they are centered around uh, God's word. And it's not the latest teaching that could be heard out. No, they want to understand 
what God is saying through the apostles. And for us, we got the words of the apostles in the New Testament. So that's why our church is centered on the Bible. But also, did you see the great miracle here? I dare say you're going, well, verse, verse 43, all the wonders. I remember um, being at a Bible study with an, old, uh, with an older pastor. I was about 19 at the time. And um, uh, there was a guy in, in, in the Bible study. He, he just said, I want to be like the, um, the early church. And he went to this verse and he said, I think it's amazing that there are all these wonders and all these signs. And, and the, the older pastor said, brother, that's impressive. But actually, that's not the biggest miracle at all in this passage. That's a small little miracle. And we were like, what What are you talking about? That's a huge miracle. He goes, no, have a look at this huge miracle. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They decided that because of the Lord Jesus they were going to think radically different about their property and their possessions and their money. Their money was not theirs necessarily. It was there for the building of the kingdom. And they were showing the world how great Jesus is by how they use their money. I mean, healing's great, Right? I would love for people to be healed. But man, I think, I think my pastor friend was, was on the money. I think it's a, bi- a, a bigger miracle when those of us, and I put myself in, in this, when we have drunk what the world says about finances, and we are so captured by the Lord Jesus that we say to him, Actually, it's not my bank balance. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's not my house. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's not my retirement nest egg. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? It's it's not my, my kids' money or my family's money when I die and I leave it. It's yours. What do you want me to do with it? That's very hard. And can you see why I think that's a bigger miracle? Spurgeon said, usually the last thing to be converted on a man is his wallet. Because we have been taught that money is the most important thing and no one's going to tell me what to do with my money. But if Jesus is our ultimate treasure, we will use our money to show that he's our ultimate treasure, won't we? I remember hearing a, uh, a sermon on giving and time and all this kind of stuff. And this guy says, you're meant to give till it hurts. If you're a Christian, if you aren't giving and you're not hurting by your giving, you're not giving enough. And I was inspired by that. It's like, yes, let's give till we hurt. Then I was thinking about it. I think he's flat out wrong. I don't want you to give till you, hurt, till you hurt because I don't see that language in the Bible. I don't think the, the, the believers here necessarily were going, oh, I'm going to give till I hurt. No, I think what's happening here is they are so blown away by the Lord Jesus. Their life is so filled with, with this new realization of who he is 
they are so on fire uh, to see the kingdom spread that what they do is they go, oh, money, possessions? Oh no, Jesus is better. And so this is a joyous thing. Brothers and sisters, I want us to be a generous church, but I don't want us to do it through clenched teeth. Because I just don't think that's the New Testament. I want us to be a generous church with our time and money, but I don't want us to, be, to feel like, oh, well, I better give this because that's what all Christians do. No, I don't want you to do that. I want you to be so blown away by the Lord Jesus and all that he has done for you that, that, I, that you just go, I want to give. He has given so much to me that, yes, I want to give. Wouldn't that be amazing to be a part of a church like that? They were so on fire for the Lord Jesus and we're so f- just filled with love for him that we're generous with our time and with our money. That's, I think, the picture of a spirit-filled church. There's a joyous commitment to Jesus, his church and his mission. And I just want to ask you, have you been so impacted by the Lord Jesus himself that you are filled with joy, that, that your giving of your time and your money is not a burden, but a joy. If that's not you, I think there's some work. There's some work to be reminding yourself of the gospel, to pray that God may change your heart. As I was thinking about this thing, and I was thinking about um, how much my family gives to the church and to mission and that kind of thing, I was, I was thinking, could we give more? And as soon as I started thinking that, there's something in my heart that was just going... Oh, hands, you give a lot already. And and there was something in my heart where where it's going, but if you gave more, you wouldn't be able to do X or you wouldn't, or in the future, you may not be able to do X. And I just went, what's happening in my heart? That that at this point, I'm, it seems like I'm giving my heart to greed more than the gospel. And and so as you pray for yourself, can you pray for my heart too? Because I struggle with this just as much as you do. I'm not perfect in this area either. In fact, I've I've drunk from our world too when it comes to greed. And I need my heart to be changed. See, see we've looked at what... We've looked at chapter 2 of Acts and we've seen a truly... Spirit-filled chapter. In fact, the whole Bible is spirit-filled. But, but, but what, what being spirit-filled means is we're all on about the Lord Jesus in every area of our lives. Not only is our speech filled with the Lord Jesus and our evangelism is filled with the Lord Jesus, but the way we relate to our money and our time is actually inspired and shaped by the Lord Jesus. We want to be a church that is truly Holy Spirit-filled don't we? If we are, we will be united around telling the world about Jesus. We'll be generous with our time and our money because Jesus first was generous with his life towards us. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, we, we don't want to be a, a church that is merely a perfunctory gathering where we just get together, we're nice to each other and we kind of go home. No, we, will, we want to be a church that is truly spirit-filled. And so, Lord, I pray that we would be, that that we would be so blown away by the Lord Jesus that we want to talk about him all the time. 
Lord, we, we do pray that our, our diaries, the way we use our time would be so influenced by the Lord Jesus that we can see there's a difference in our diaries because of the Lord Jesus. There's a, Lord, we pray for, for the way we use our money that we will be generous because of the Lord Jesus and that generosity will be filled with joy. Lord, I, just, I want to confess my own sin at this week when I was thinking that maybe Kate and I and the kids could, could be giving more financially, that my heart was just against it. And I pray for all of our hearts here today that, that some of us, as I was talking, our hearts is going, no. Lord, I, I, just, I just pray that, that you, would be, you would be so dealing with our hearts that we would just help us to see and help our hearts to see that our greatest treasure is Jesus and therefore our money is an instrument to show the world how great he is. Uh, Lord, we want to see, as they saw 3,000 people come to know Jesus in one day, we want to see that flood. And so, that flood of people. And so I pray that you would make us a truly Holy Spirit church who just talks about the Lord Jesus and sees that flood of people come to know him. Amen.